Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in High Fidelity. San Diego, this is Pop Health Week on the Blog Talk Radio and Affiliate Networks, which is brought to you by Health Innovation Media. Welcome, everyone. I'm Greg Masters, the producer and co-host of the show, and in the virtual studio today, as always, is my trusted colleague, Fred Goldstein, principal co-host and co-founder here at Pop Health Week. Hello, Fred. Hey, Greg. Great to be talking to you again, and glad your weather is so beautiful. Here in Jacksonville, Florida, the meteorologist said we are a 10 out of 10 today, so we're trying to compete with you beauty folks out in San Diego. (laughs) (laughs) Where we know it's always beautiful. (laughs) Well, I don't know about that, but uh, yeah, we have have fans on both uh, sides of the coast here, left and right. So um, for those of you not familiar with Fred, he is a uh, consultant and president of Jacksonville, Florida-based Accountable Health, LLC. Fred is known or not known, and we'll hear more about that today, as the father of the annual wellness visit. More details shortly. Fred serves on the editorial boards of the Journal of Population Health Management and Population Health News, the Best Practices Review Panel, Institute for Medicaid Innovations at Medicaid Health Plans of America, and a recent appointee to the graduate faculty of the John D. Bauer School of Population Health, University of Mississippi Medical Center. Do follow Fred on Twitter via at F.S. Goldstein. My background includes thought leadership and strategy guidance for hospitals, health systems, and physician-led ventures. I publish and principally author ACOWatch.com and produce digital media content for the emerging value-based healthcare economy. Follow me on Twitter by at the number two health guru. So on today's show, we're going to put Fred in the seat to review his uh, uh, sort of mix of top-line news in the population health accountable care and what may be seen as the convergence of these potentially siloed sectors under the banner of an emerging value-based healthcare economy. And why is this important? Because innovation in the legacy healthcare sector, whether on the delivery financing or fully integrated delivery and financing side, it's just not new, folks. (laughs) While this may come as a surprise and even of the revelatory variety to many recent converts, uh, particularly those associated with the digital health movement and its predecessor, mHealth Strain. I mean, does anyone remember mHealth? For those of us with an event horizon beyond the current 24-7, 365, firehose-obsessed news cycle, and presenting with a modicum of institutional memory and perhaps even wisdom, the innovation arsenal has deployed wave after wave of marginal and material ads to what I call the healthcare board where all innovations go to die, as in your efforts will be assimilated by a legacy healthcare economy 
whose thirst will not be denied. So there's context, and I'm not going to throw cold water on those who are drawn to want to make a difference through tech or business models where tech really leverages the quality, quantity, and availability of services. By all means, continue on, but rock on and recognize that there's been a lot that's happened previously. So let's tap into a little bit of that. But first up, I have mentioned on prior broadcasts that Fred is the little-known father of the Medicare annual wellness visit. So today, let's take a bit of a dive into that story. So Fred, tell us about the genesis of this simple but incredibly impactful innovation. Well, thanks so much, Greg. And it it is an interesting uh, story, um, at least for me it was, and a, and a fascinating way to to, to uh, spend quite a bit of time on Capitol Hill and, and see how uh, some of these things function. Uh, it, this all occurred while I was the president of U.S. Preventive Medicine, and for a while was we had decided the company had actually run a full-page ad in the Wall Street Journal discussing the importance of prevention and health reform uh, back um, when uh, President Obama was elected. And uh, that had received a fair amount of attention, et cetera. So I was... Uh, sort of decided I would head to the Hill and just start working the Hill around prevention and see if we could get some things put into prevention. And so we had an advocacy group firm up there that we were using, and I began making the rounds, typically speaking with uh, legislative aides within uh, various offices who were involved with various healthcare committees and um, talking to them about prevention and the importance of it and telling them what our company did at U.S. Preventive Medicine, where we had built a, a employee well, wellness program built on the science of preventive medicine. It was based on the research, based on the clinical application of preventive medicine, and was had had gotten some pretty good pickup at that point. So as I, I started to make my rounds and meet with people, and every once in a while I get a chance to meet with a uh, an actual uh, member of Congress or perhaps uh, say hi to a senator, but the majority of times with the staff, I did meet with the with uh, the staff of the Senate Help Committee at one point, and I met with the staff at, on Ways and Means at another point. And ultimately, I got to know uh, a woman named Janelle Krishnamurthy. And Janelle Krishnamurthy at that time was the lead legislative aide for Senator Tom Harkin. And Senator Harkin has been a prevention-focused, uh, community-focused uh, senator for years. And, and for a, about a decade, I think, at that point, he had been trying to put through legislation on prevention and uh, to push some of that. So I met with um, Janelle, and, and, and at that point also, unfortunately, Senator Ted Kennedy, who had been the um, the chair of the of the Senate com- Health Committee, the Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions Committee, um, had, can- had brain cancer, and Senator Harkin had taken over as the chair of the committee. So after about four meetings over about 12 months with, with um, Janelle Krishnamurthy, she called one day and told my uh, advocacy firm, said, hey, get Fred up here. We've got a meeting with the senator. And I was really excited. This was going to be <laughs> this was going to be good. And so as is typical with the senator, they're busier than you can imagine. And I get to the office and the first thing they say is, hey, Fred, Senator Harkin has about 20 constituents sitting in his little boardroom over there who are supposed to meet with him. He's got you on his schedule and he's got to run to the floor to do a vote. So you're going to do a walk and talk and a walk and talk is where you get a chance to just head down the halls with the Congress, the congressional member or the, or the Senator and 
tell them what you're talking, what you're doing while they, while they head off to their next, next thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And then suddenly they came to me and said, Fred, you've got five minutes with the Senator get in there, but do not go over five minutes. He's got a vote. We're going to yank him out. And if you're not done, you're not done. It's too bad. So I head in there and sit with Senator Harkin. And the first thing he mentioned was that full page ad in the wall street journal. He said, I know you guys, I saw the ad Ah, and uh, it was exciting. Timing was everything. And then he said, tell me what you do. And I proceeded to talk about U.S. preventive medicine and our program and built on the science of preventive medicine and how we were trying to identify risks and and help people work through those risks. And he said, that's incredible. Does anyone else? He said, nobody does what you do. And I said, well, Senator, there are other companies in that space that do it. And he said, no, 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 I've looked at them. They're no good. There's nobody does that, (laughs) (laughs) which was really fascinating. I turned to him. I said, yeah, "Yeah, Senator, you may, you can feel free to say that. I'm Uh I'm not going to. And then they're at the door. They're trying to get him out. And he turns to to Janelle Krishnamurthy and says, how do we get that service that U.S. Preventive Medicine does covered? And I said, Senator, do you mind? I have an idea. And he said, no, what do you got? And I said, give me a CPT code. Mm, there and you he go. looked at me and said, that's a good idea. And then he left. <laughs> uh-huh. And three weeks later, Janelle calls our, the firm in D.C. and says, tell Fred we've got some news he's going to like. Mm. And what that is, is that annual Medicare wellness visit, our program at U.S. Preventive Medicine, as you may recall, at that time was called the Prevention Plan. It's now the Preventive Plan, but it was the Prevention Plan. And the, the header for that section of the bill is um, an annual Medicare wellness visit to establish a personalized prevention plan. So they named the, the section after our program right. at U.S. Preventive right. Medicine. And How convenient. It was also, yeah, it was, it was pretty amazing. So yeah. a couple of points out of this. One is it goes to show that if you can find champions, you don't have to have a boatload of lobbying dollars, as we see, that tend to flow into healthcare. And if you have a good idea and find the right person, you can get it through. And it really was the senator doing this. He had been trying to do something in this space for decades. Uh, What was also interesting was that the original uptake for that was terrible. Nobody understood it. What's an HRA? Don't make us do this. But ultimately, they realized, one, the payment was pretty good for it. You could do it every year. And it provided you with unique data that you didn't get through a history and physical. And now it's become something I think that, uh, you know, as we saw at the uh, Florida Association of ACO meetings, you may recall – Companies are bragging on how high a rate of annual Medicare wellness visits they get with their ACO members or their Medicare Advantage members, et cetera. Right. Well, you know, if you just think of how siloed our industry is, unless you're in an integrated, I mean, a fully integrated delivery system, and even those best-in-class players have room for improvement, but you come, what is it, 10,000 people a day qualify for Medicare? How many right. of those people defer medical care to knowing that, gee, I'm going to I'm be on Medicare here you know, next year, so I'm just going to hang in there, hang in there, hang in there? So the idea that once you enter that system, you get this initial welcome to Medicare visit, and it's basically you know, the health risk assessment breaks it down in terms of creating important baselines of just exactly where's your health status today, and then how do we track that forward and kind of identify problem areas, things to work on, and actually track it from year to year to 
whether you're going up, down, or sideways. So that's pretty brilliant mm-hmm. to actually get that incorporated. Yeah, thank you. It was it was quite the uh, fun event. And we have another bill up there now that we'll probably have to do on another show that we've been working on with some of your input as well. So maybe we can get to that at some point in a future episode. Sure, sure, yeah. sure. Good deal. Well, uh, we have mentioned that in prior shows, so good to have the context in the background. And, uh, uh, you know, those walk and talks kind of look like you, you were in a pressure cooker uh, with an elevator pitch on steroids, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so congratulations on being – yeah, yeah, yeah. So good for you being crisp and present for, for carrying the message. So, okay, well – uh, kind of tried to lay out the context for our uh, conversation today, um, as uh, you know, we just got back from the Florida Association of ACOs annual meeting, fifth annual meeting, and the founder and CEO and Nicole Bradbury uh, has mentioned this rollout of, uh, of Value H, which is uh, uh, not just Florida domiciled, but a national association that will appeal to the uh, thought leaders, implementers, doers, you name it, in the value-based healthcare economy, which really is a globally, you know, it's a pretty loose term, you know, what's in the value-based economy per se, from bundled pricing to full risk-bearing Medicare Advantage plans, I I think one could pack into that. So where do you want to go in terms of uh, maybe just uh, a scan of top-line news in the Accountable care, pop health, value-based economy. What's top of mind for you, Fred? Yeah, let me first say this, which is kind of interesting, because you've you've mashed this up in a great way. You know, value-based care, population health, and I, I can tell you, you were at the event, I believe, a few years back at the Population Health Alliance, where we had a uh, uh, um, some great presentations by Kaveh uh, Safavi and David Nash that year. And when they had finished up, I, I recall now that we had a d- quick discussion up there. And one of the questions I threw out to them, and this must have been five years ago or so, was should, should we be working pricing and cost into our population health programs? And the answer at that time was no. But mm-hmm. now you're seeing it. When you start talking value and you say, well, we're going to take a population – health approach to it, value has to include, you know, what's, what that cost is of that service and could, could, could it be delivered with, with similar or better quality at a lower or same price. Right. And, uh, and so it's kind of, it's, it's, it's fascinating. I think, you know, Nicole's hit upon it with this value H, this idea that, that you merge this together and suddenly you're looking at all the various components to improve the health of that population, including the cost. Right. So, yeah, some, you know, some, we, would, go on. some would say, sorry to interrupt, some would say, uh, you know, pop health is merely public health 2.0 or 3.0 and uh, ACOs and population level initiatives are simply, you know, HMOs of a different strain. So uh, when you have the total cost of care perspective versus the shell game of shifting cost from here to here, it's a different challenge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um you know, ACOs are beginning to get it. Obviously, you're seeing a push on the market from the from the CMS saying, well, you know, you may have been delivering better quality and we're seeing your quality go up, but we haven't seen a whole heck of a lot from your cost savings. And so pushing these to two-sided risk in the MSSP1 programs right. um, and, uh, and efforts like that. 
And I think we're seeing the other one that's been interesting to watch is employers. And uh, oh, yeah. a number of people mm-hmm. have pointed to the fact that employers are watch the employers. They're going to be driving it. And that's what I talked about at an AMCP meeting this last week in a training session was watch the employers, whether around pharmacy costs or others, they're going to innovate rapidly. And, uh, and so a- we saw some a- of that. AMCP, AMCP yeah. is what? The Academy of Managed Care Pharmacies. You know, so okay. it's, it's all the managed care pharmacies as well as a lot of the manufacturers themselves uh, uh, come to these training sessions and to that big annual conference they run, mm-hmm. which is very well mm-hmm. done. Okay. Yeah. So, so, so this new awareness at the employer level, born out of a certain level of frustration that third-party payers, Aetna's, Cigna's, the Blues, et cetera, United, uh, aren't delivering the goods. So mm-hmm. what's what's new in the direct employer contracting world, whether it be through ACOs or or, or TPAs or or direct? Uh, what's new? What's happening there that uh, could be uh, seen as innovation? So you know, obviously the direct contracting. You know, we we talked about earlier the this stuff with Amazon where they're thinking about it and beginning to analyze it. Well, now we've got companies actually doing it. So we saw the you know, GM direct contract with Henry Ford. And we just had the recent news this past week or so with Oshner through their ACO doing a direct contract with Walmart for the Walmart employees and to use Oshner's accountable care organization as their delivery network. And, and so I, I really think this, at least for the larger employers, you've got this opportunity through direct contracting and we'll see more of that sort of disintermediating the health plan themselves since they're already Mm self-insured and saying, let's just get it over to the provider, take out a layer and see if we can improve the health outcomes for our employees and lower our costs at the same time. Right. You know, it's interesting to me, Oshner is a, is a trophy name plate. Uh, It is an integrated delivery system, though. I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure they have their own health plan as well. So they have an alignment of interest, if you will, between the delivery system, participating physicians, and the health plan. But it's noted in this article that this is the first time Oshner has partnered in this capacity with a large national employer. Maybe they've done some local stuff, but this is the first mm-hmm. time working with a national organization. And of course, Walmart includes Sam's employees as well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Oshner's got a big footprint. They, they, they've got the state pretty much. And it also, when you think about it, it, it could. It, it also helps from a, deve- a defensive perspective um, because there are other, you know, ways. Whether you look at um, maybe Aetna's pretty big in that state with their CVS pharmacies, and they start linking that up as a primary care network or something. So to wrap up a, a fairly large client is a is a good way to go. And I think it'll be interesting to see how much Walmart does this in other places, yeah. and yeah. and to what level they can take it down to a smaller. Do they have enough? In like a, in certain cities mm-hmm. where they where there's not a, a, a an Oshner that's throughout the state as an ACO. Yeah, it's so. noted in the article that uh, they've partnered with ten other health systems in other states. So obviously, it's not restricted to Oshner and and the Louisiana market. Uh, it's also interesting that the goals of the program here is to reduce emergency room usage and increase primary care physician visits with the expectation that this will lower the total cost of care from the health plan's perspective. Yeah. And, and that's a great thing. And, and the good thing about that is pretty easy to measure, you know, right. 
Are you, yeah, yeah. Are you gonna you, you can yeah. quickly determine if you're getting the outcomes, and obviously the key uh-huh. to some of that is access to those primary care networks. You have them open enough. Right. Are they late? Weekend hours. Right. You start building that, make make it meet the needs yeah. of the employees, and you can quickly solve that ER problem. Well, I wish them good luck, and of course we saw this play out in the '80s and '90s. So perhaps uh, revisiting uh, a, a healthcare sector at almost at 20% of GDP versus whatever it was then, a fraction of it back mm-hmm. then, uh, is, is a renewed emphasis on, okay, really, how do we make this work? We've been at it a while. Let's make it happen. Yep. Absolutely. So what's next? The other one that I just found fascinating this week was the Utah employees where – There are 160,000 state employees in the Utah Public Employee Plan and family members, and they have decided to give them the option to go to Mexico and pick up about 20 high-cost drugs and bring them back. And as (laughs) part of that, yeah, as part of that, they're they're going to pay for the trip. Right. Make an easier access line to get through the border. They claim the clinic down there is as good as a Mayo or any other place. They've vetted that the drugs are safe mm-hmm. and they're what you're getting. And then they'll pay the employee $500 to do that, which is a great way to incent this. We've seen where, you know, Walmart is using a narrow network approach, say, for their back surgeries and sending people to Houston and uh, giving you the option to go there for nothing or, or get it out, you know, pay a substantial out of pocket locally. But this is taking it even one step further and providing a financial reason for the employee to go do this. Yeah. And I think yeah. this is something that could take off quickly. And then the question becomes, does pharma say, well, we're going to cut off the supply of our drugs to Mexico mm-hmm. or something, which is they've threatened around Canada. So it should be interesting to watch. I love the article here. It, you know, it, it opens with, amid a flurry of national proposals to bring exorbitant U.S. drug prices in line with other countries' charges, one Utah insurer has a different option for patients. Pay them to go to Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> of course, that's near and dear to my heart because living in San Diego, I frequently cross that border and uh, avail myself of uh, – of deeply discounted uh, pharma pricing. So, yeah, it's interesting. PEHP. Now, is this the Public Employees Union of Yeah, uh, I believe that stands for Public Employee Health Plan or something like okay. that. Yeah. yeah. And the $500 cash payout. Now, they must triage this or segment it in such a way where they understand sort of the tail of drug coverage and what might be suitable um, to reflect in this package pricing, including transportation, because uh, you got to figure out there's a return here to the health plan as well as the yeah. quality. Yeah. And I'm sure, you know, you can post up this article on the, on the site uh, and uh, it lists the drugs at the end of it that they're paying for. And, uh, mm-hmm. and, and yeah. so they know these are high cost drugs in the United States. As I told the pharma group this last, last week, it's, it's coming that, you know, people have finally said, we're going to find a way mm-hmm. to solve it or go around right. it. And, and yeah. they're going around it here. Um, and uh, I think, you know, and it's not a, it's a huge group. It's 160,000 yeah. lives. I think you'll see more of this. Right. You know, yeah. it's, could other yeah. states, as a matter of fact, piggyback on this just because, mm-hmm. you know, like I know with, with certain legislative things, if, if one city has contracted with somebody, 
another city can jump onto that contract. Mm-hmm. I wonder if states are allowed to do something like that. And potentially you'd see more of them just piggyback off of what they've done in Utah. Yeah, so here, here's the answer to my earlier question. So in the article, mm-hmm. it notes uh, the insurer rolled out its pharmacy tourism option this fall in response to state legislation requiring state employee insurance plans to offer, quote, savings rewards or cash incentives to patients who choose cheaper providers. The plan is offering pharmacy tourism benefits for about a dozen drugs for which the price disparity between countries is vast. For example, Avonex, which treats MS, costs about $6,700 for a 28-day supply in the U.S., but about $2,200 through PEP's contract contracted clinic in Tijuana. So there you go. Hard dollars. Yeah, and, and yeah. you know, perhaps you tie in a couple extra days in Mexico with it. Yeah. <laughs> Use your $500 <laughs> to stay yeah. for a couple of days and enjoy yourself, yeah. having enough hey. time on the beach, et cetera. Speak, speak, speaking of, you know, the, the uh, shall we say, uh, extrapolation of where else can we leverage these kinds of market inefficiencies, uh, think dental. <laughs> Uh, you oh, got yeah. American-trained, board-certified dentists operating in Tijuana who operate at a fraction of the shake-and-bake retail dental operations in the United States, many of whom are under contract to big gorilla health plans like Kaiser Permanente and simply pass on rack rate pricing to the member through referral agreement between the plan and the dental operator. So, I mean, I'm just yeah. thinking, wow, you know. I, I have mean, a whole story. Imagine. I have a whole story there. I'll leave it offline for now. But trust me, there's a there's a big big hiccup there in, in pricing differentials. Oh yeah, the dental stuff's amazing. And imagine, as a health plan, if you're a fully insured product, these kinds of things will just knock your your medical expenditures down so much and lower your MLR totally. that you'd have totally. to drop your rates. And you're getting fifteen percent of a smaller number, so you're not going to do it. Right. Yeah. Right. So yeah. we're really talking about not just sort of Trend minus one or two percent. We're talking about flat and declining. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which is exactly what yeah. you know. Um, Imagine that. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. Warren Buffett said, you know, we're not yeah. looking for one to three percent. We're looking way bigger than that. Well, here's yeah. a simple way to do it, right here in front of you. And there are others like you talk about dental. Um, you yeah. could do, t- you know, surgeries at Health City Cayman Island, and and begin to move. Oh yeah. And I think ultimately, just as with the, the, some of the recommendations coming out of the White House around pricing, ultimately, it's, it's got to come down, and the, and the individuals that are pricing these products need to bring them down closer to what we're seeing in other places around the world. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You and I are on the same, uh, same page there, Fred. So we're kind of winding down the half hour here. So uh, what, what else is top of mind for you? Um, I think, you know, that um, I've seen, you know, some of the stuff now coming out of D.C. that we've talked about. I think the site of care regs, if they can put that in place. Uh, the mm-hmm. experiment by, by uh, CMA, oh, the pair CMMI, neutral, but, pair, yeah, pair the pair neutral, neutral site of care, yeah. right, yeah. where mm-hmm. if you're getting an infusion in a, a doctor's office and getting the same drug by the same doctor in an outpatient center or a hospital and are paying more, that uh-huh. just logically doesn't make sense. Yeah. And so... I think that, along with the new proposal where they're trying to price drugs based on these other countries around the world and as a percent of that or something, and do a test through CMMI to half of the Medicare recipients, 
is something that will ultimately help push these. I do think also, you know, as I heard at the conference, farmers mm-hmm. interested in value-based care. They're trying to figure out how they can play in that, how they can play a role in the supporting that. But at the end of the day, I think the recognition is there's got to be a drop in these prices. Um, right. And that's what, we're, that's what we're starting to see. But I, but as we talked about earlier and off, offline, a lot mm-hmm. of this change is really going to be driven by employers. They've, They've got a lot of flexibility right now, at least the self-insured groups, and are saying, let's see what other ideas we can implement for our employees to help us lower the costs and, and maintain or improve the quality, thereby creating better value. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I hear you there. So um, let's just um, cue in our little closing music here and wind this down because um, – we have to. <laughs> and that, uh, I want to thank Fred. Uh, well, that'll have to be the last word for today's broadcast. I want to thank my colleague and co-host and co-founder of Pop Health Week, Fred Goldstein, who is the president of Accountable Health LLC for his time and generous insights today. Do follow Fred and Accountable Health work on the web by www.accountablehealthllc.com and on Twitter via at FSGoldstein. And finally, if you are tasked with strategy, standing up an ACO or value-based healthcare initiative, or otherwise feel drawn to the to, drawn to contribute to the emerging world of value-based healthcare, contact me at Greg with two G's at healthinnovationmedia.com or on Twitter via at the number two health guru. And Fred and I will be happy to entertain your needs and lend our subject matter expertise to your organization or venture. So until we meet again on Pop Health Week, for Fred Goldstein, this is Greg Masters saying bye now.
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.